a letter for you. Dear Jane, I would like to ask you to pause for a moment and consider what you could say to us that could help us move forward with the challenges we all face. Perhaps you can lift us up into a more joyful state. Dear Seeker of Joyful States, let's start with a story. The patch of land on which I live, I know and tend to intimately. Within it, there are one or two pockets I know more deeply still. Those I've spent more time in, looked at more often. Those I feel a greater sense of kinship with. The trees outside my wooden panelled office are one such place. All around, they cocoon me in my book-adorned, computer-tapping space. The one directly to the front, beneath the window straight ahead, is not concerned with height, but with width. Her green arms, with their tightly spindled leaves spread out in all directions, maintain a constant resting state of impending embrace, an arboreal dreamcatcher. Facing front, there's an apple tree. Her apples and my taste buds don't get on. Their slightly sour taste makes my face screw up. I don't tell her this, of course. A friendship preserved by the omission of unnecessary truths. Her gnarled arms and over-knuckled fingers, old and youthful in equal amounts, are all at once ordered and chaotic, an intriguing maze that draws the eyes upward without allowing them to reach a specific destination. The knobby bits that stick out from the branches, it turns out, provide the perfect resting place for the hooks from which my nectar feeders hang. Naively, I started with just one, wondering if anyone would come. A solitary, bright orange, sugar-filled lantern hanging suspended in the sky. Word soon spread in avian society that there was a new dealer in town. An innocent one, they probably chuckled to themselves, foreseeing my future as a dedicated nectar peddler, an open-all-hours, enthusiastic feeder of feathered friends in need of their next hit. Inspired by an idea I recently read to create a pen and paper only, no technology corner, I bought a fold-up beach chair made of some man-made washable fabric and a cheap olive-covered fluffy blanket that compels you to say, gosh, isn't this soft, every time you touch it, despite having done so many times before. They delight me, not least of all because I'd been looking at some much more expensive versions when they stumbled in my way. A bargain always adds an intangible certain something-something to a purchase. So I took my $30 beach chair, unfolded it, slung the blanket over the top and placed it on the rug inside my office, faced towards the tree where my nectar feeders hang. And every morning I sit, with my notebook on my knee, writing pen in one hand, coffee in the other, and I watch. The first few days my nectar feeder hung, it attracted the tuis. This was the expectation. The tui, a native bird to New Zealand, are honey eaters, of a size you'd need both hands to hold, with elegant features, a finely contoured head, and eyes that assert that they're clear of their place in the world. From a distance, the unknowing eye might think they're black. Up close, their feathers shine with peacock iridescence, like an expensive piece of jade seen beneath a layer of crystal water. On their throat are two white tufts, conductors of the orchestra to their very distinct song. Their tune is a standout in my island forest, and to the human ear haphazard, arriving like a series of audible fairy lights undergoing intermittent power surges. At the start, they make a hollow tapping sound, 
before briefly breaking out the maracas, trilling momentarily, descending to a low note, before using their whole body to crescendo with a loud climactic squawk and then looping the track back round again. One pauses feeding, looks at me directly. You're welcome, I said, as though doing him a favour. We both know the favour is reversed. Today, he's feeling gracious, lets me think that he believes me. Overnight, the Tuis spread the news. At first, they talked to the kaka, the big mountain parrots. The sound of them landing on the guttering before leapfrogging to the trees makes me jump. They came, stood on my nectar platform, and inquired with their beak, feeling it out, tasting it with their tongues, hanging off the side and upside down, their brown and green plumage with burnt orange flushes, crawl all over and under and through my tree as if gravity was something they could choose. I didn't expect you, I told them, but I'm glad that you're here. Me and the Tuis and the Kaka. Then came the wax eyes. So many wax eyes. Birds the colour of silken moss and lichen, the green hues blending to yellow without transition, an ombre work of art their white-rimmed eyes, their body forming a kind of perfection that makes you wonder if they're even real. All along, the wax eyes had been there. I'd never seen so many, arriving like forest confetti, perfect winged gifts dancing right outside my window. Where is this story leading, you may ask? Well, directly to the first part of my answer, which is, both within challenge and without, we have to find our metaphorical nectar feeder, a space that allows us to make an offering, sit down and pay attention to something other than ourselves. We have to take the time to notice what's already with us, what beauty is camouflaged amongst the leaves, what requires a little more sweetness on our part to make itself visible. Challenge narrows our focus, wonder widens it, and life in its details is wondrous if we're still enough and interested enough to seek it out. It's not something that can be forced, but we can let it find us by creating the right conditions, asking the right questions. This story I've just told you about my office and my chair and the trees and the birds, in some ways you could say it's nothing special, and I guess that's what I love about it. It's both ordinary and extraordinary. What makes it one or the other, ordinary or extraordinary, is how much I'm paying attention. Einstein said, the most important decision we make is whether we believe we live in a friendly or hostile universe. Watching the birds reminds me of that decision, and I do my best to remind myself as often as I can that I believe the universe to be friendly. Because it's from this space, the space of believing things to be innately friendly instead of hostile, wonder-filled instead of challenged, that I can meet the hard things that inevitably come up and not lose my gentleness or at least have a place where I find it returns to me if I do. Now, take your hands and place them on your body. Place them so you notice that you're being touched. Take the tenderest part of your fingertips and run them over your face, like you would do a lover. You are here. This is a very good start. Remind yourself over and over that you are here, a glorious, human wildling creature whose shape is defined by the edges of your skin. And because you are here, anything is possible, if we really allow ourselves to be new. 
what does it mean to let ourselves be new? It means letting go of the story that keeps us stuck in one place. It means waking up and letting things be revealed to us, rather than presupposing how things are going to happen, with all our silent, thought-based incantations that make themselves known in our realities. We are spellcasters, magic weavers, experience procurers, if we choose to take the essence of our energy and intention and cast it in the right direction. Letting ourselves be new means embracing our animal body with all its impossible imperfection and accepting where we are in the dance. It means moving in the world, not within the landscape, but as a part of it, humbling ourselves to nature and returning to it again and again and again. So, now that you're paying attention, now that you've tasted wonder-seeking, now that you've remembered your animal body, now you must remember what you love and follow it. Not as something nice to do, or a thing you'll start once you've considered you've worked hard enough to deserve it, but as a prescription, a balm, a reminder of your purpose, a gesture of pleasure activism. Following what you love is your purpose for being here made animate, a way of serving yourself so you, in turn, can serve others, a way of standing for what's important to you so you have the internal means to stand also for what's important to others, both human and non-human. If it feels hard, start gently. What's possible within what's possible? Start there. And perhaps as a parting word, don't argue against your own happiness. If you desire something, don't let your own excuses get in the way of it. Leave behind the bones of your old stories. Protect your wildness. I'll leave you with a quote from Terry Tempest Williams. To protect what is wild is to protect what is gentle. Perhaps the wilderness we fear is the pause between our own heartbeats, the silent space that says we live only by grace. Wilderness lives by this same grace. Much love, Jane. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. Another beautiful question is supported by the generosity of my community over at Substack. If you want to join us, go to janepike.substack.com. And as per, if you enjoy this podcast and want to hear more of it, please feel free to subscribe and leave a review. It really means a lot to me. Have a wonderful rest of your day.